You are now listening to the ears and eyes of the environment. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Wilkerson, and on this episode, we'll explore the district's history and impact of flooding. And today, we have a familiar voice that echoes through radio waves in the district. Here with us is award-winning environment journalist, Jacob Finston. Hi, Jacob. How are you? Megan, good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well, thank you. So, Jacob, tell us a little bit about yourself and the type of work you report on in the district. Um, yeah, so I cover environment, uh, WAMU and DCist, and I've been doing that for a few years. I, you know, I focus a lot on um, climate change and also on the the rivers. I'm really interested in kind of the relationship between the city and the the two rivers and ongoing cleanup efforts, and uh, also you know issues like like flooding. Well, you're the perfect person to have on this episode. So, in in as far as like the district, do you think DC is prepared for natural disasters like flooding? Um, you know, it's it's impossible to really say like you're prepared. You think yeah. you are until until something happens that you had no idea was coming. Um, I can think back to the derecho a few years ago, which was just this like wall of wind that you know who could have expected that. So, uh, you know, but in terms of flooding, I think we are are pretty lucky in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we have like relatively a lot of resources, and there's a lot of very smart people who are thinking about this kind of issue in uh, the local government as well as, you know, the federal government is here um, and they have a, a strong interest in making sure that uh, their buildings, especially downtown, don't don't flood. Um, so there's, there's a lot of people who have been thinking about this issue in D.C. Um, and, you know, compared to other East Coast cities, mm-hmm. we're relatively fortunate just in terms of being a little bit away from the coast and a lot of the cities on a little bit of higher ground. So, you know, we're not Manhattan, we're not Miami, we have a little bit more insulation from uh, from the water. Yeah, and like you said, it's going to take an all-hands-on-deck effort in us for, for us to be protected from flooding. So could you briefly discuss the history of flooding in D.C.? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the history goes, goes back to the beginning of the city. I mean, mm-hmm. the city was built at the confluence of two rivers, so wow. it's going to flood, right? Um, so in terms of the history of flooding, um, you know, the history of flooding goes back to the very beginning of the city. We built a city at the confluence of two rivers, you know, the Potomac and the Anacostia. Cool. And so there's actually th- three different ways that, that flooding can happen in the district. Mm-hmm. So it can it can uh, rain a lot kind of upstream and then come down the Potomac mm-hmm. and flood the city. It can also, uh, there can be like a hurricane on the coast and push the water up the Potomac River and, and flood us that way. Um, historically, there's been a lot of the, the sort of riverine or upstream flooding um, where water would just, you know, rain a lot in West Virginia or whatever and, and come down and flood the city. In fact, at one time, um, there was someone employed in Harper's Ferry in mm-hmm. West Virginia on, on horseback. Right. And he would, like, you know, see the water rising in Harper's Ferry and gallop as fast as he could to warn people in, in D.C. Um, you can also find a lot of these really interesting old photos of, like, ice, um, you know, big sheets of ice coming down the river. And, wow. and, and they would, you know, during the winter have these big, big floods coming down the river. Um and then there's been, you know, historically also there's been uh, hurricanes like uh, Hurricane Agnes in mm-hmm. 1972, I think, uh, which was a major, caused major f- uh, coastal flooding coming up the river. In um, more recently, people might remember 2003 Hurricane Isabel, yeah. you know, also f- flooded uh, areas around the river. More recently, there has been um, much more concern around interior or urban flooding, which is where like a storm just parks right over the city or even over like a neighborhood and just kind of dumps on you and it overwhelms the drainage system so the water can't drain fast enough. Mm-hmm. And that is um, has been uh, something that climate scientists say we're going to get more of that kind of storm and more of that kind of flooding in the future. So 
that's been happening in recent years. In 2006, there was a really bad kind of interior flood that that um, flooded parts of downtown, particularly F Federal Triangle and like the IRS headquarters, you know, the Smithsonian, a bunch of these these big um, big important buildings mm -hmm. uh, had 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 a lot of water in them. So that's of increasing concern nowadays. That sort of interior. Um, interior flooding. Yeah, so given our history of flooding, and I know that technology has evolved, we're no longer using horseback, using pigeons to send signals. Where do we stand in the present? Um, well, there's there's kind of good and bad. I mean, on the one hand, you know, this is something that we've, we have been thinking about, we have been investing in. Um, so for example, DC Water is doing this big project people have probably heard about, um, Clean Rivers Project, where they're building these metro-sized tunnels underground to capture stormwater. And the purpose of that is to keep uh, sewage from you know, overflowing into the rivers during a big storm. Mm. Um, but kind of a good side effect is that it also prevents flooding because if a bunch of water dumps on the city, um, instead of like building up in the streets, it'll, it'll flow under the city and, and get captured in these big tunnels. Um, so that's gonna reduce flooding in some neighborhoods like LaDroit Park and Bloomingdale uh, specifically. There's a new tunnel that's going to open this year wow. and, um, and help with that. So, and then there's another one uh, that's going to open in 2030. So that's kind of an ongoing major project. Um, the district has also been investing a lot in um, green infrastructure. Cool. So that's like, you know, you've probably seen the little rain gardens yeah. around the city. Um, or there's also uh, impervious, um, <laughs> that's not right, uh, permeable pavement, which is, you know, one of the problems mm -hmm. that, that leads to flooding is there's just so much, um, so much, like, so many surfaces that are impervious that don't let water seep right. in. So, like, roofs, roads, sidewalks, all that stuff, just the water hits it and, and bounces off and, and can uh, create flooding. So the idea behind green infrastructure is to kind of mimic nature and allow the water to infiltrate into the ground. And they actually, they look, they're sort of deceiving because it you know can just look like a little garden, but in fact, it's engineered to capture the runoff from a, a, a very large area. So those are, um, those are really interesting projects that um, will help with flooding. Um, and then, you know, so on, on the one hand, I, I think we are prepared because of this investment that's going on. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, climate change is is pushing in the opposite direction. You know, the rivers are, are tidal. They're connected to the oceans mm -hmm. and rise and fall with the ocean tides and also with ocean sea level, which has gone up by about a foot since historic levels and is expected to continue to rise, go up another few feet in this century alone. So um, that's going to make more areas along the rivers and creeks vulnerable. And, um, you know, what I was talking about before about the interior flooding and these, these big sort of heavy, heavy rainfall mm -hmm. events, um, that's making flooding more of a risk. Yeah, and so it's important that the technology keeps up with the demand, especially since climate change, climate change is making, making storms more intense, more frequent, and um, so it's important that we have technologies to alleviate some of those natural disasters. So um, from your reporting, what areas have you found to be at greater risk for flooding in the district? Um, I wish it was a really easy answer, but yeah. it's, it's a little bit complicated. Um, there are flood maps. So the you know Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, mm -hmm. puts out these floodplain maps, and they're very nice. You can look at them and see if your home is in one of the floodplains. And um, those areas have like a 1% chance any given year 
of flooding. Um, and they are along the rivers and along creeks. In DC, the, the most at risk in, on the flood maps are in um, Ward 7 and 8 along Oxen Run and along Watts Branch. And so there's, I think, about 1,000 homes that are right there in the floodplain. When those creeks rise, people's basements or houses get flooded. Um, so that's pretty clear. The less clear thing is this interior flooding where it can just, you know, dump a bunch of water and that can happen kind of anywhere. And there are places where it's more of a problem where the drainage is 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 less uh, adequate to to modern needs. But it can happen places that it has never happened before and that people had no idea it was going to happen. Um, so there are efforts to kind of map that out and, and do sort of a combined flood risk map where um, where it takes into account, you know, the the all the sewer pipes and mm -hmm. every neighborhood and and sort of calculates calculates it all, but that's that's a little bit harder to um, harder to do and, and takes a little bit more uh, technology, as you're saying. And I'm thinking about now as I like live in my high rise building, and I, in my head I think I'm safe because I'm not you know at the ground level. But are we truly safe if we live in, a, in, a, in an elevated space, or is it like like how can we protect ourselves and what can we do to be less vulnerable to, to floods? Um, yeah, I mean. Obviously, if you're on higher ground or in a higher building, you are uh, going to be safer. But, you know, flooding can also knock out infrastructure. So it could, you know, lead to power outages or, um, you know, take out other, uh, you know, the Blue Plains is, <laughs> is right next to the Blue Plains, the, the water treatment center, uh, water treatment plant is right next to the river. Mm -hmm. So there are sort of infrastructure things that are at risk that could affect everyone, even if you're, you know, 12 stories above the ground. Um, but yeah, in general, if, if you live sort of on higher ground, you're definitely going to be, uh, be less at risk. But there are one thing that I think is really interesting is there's, um, there's a lot of places that you would look at and just think, you know, that's not, there's no flood risk there. It's not near a creek or anything. But there are um, a lot of creeks that have been sort of buried underground as the city developed. So um, DC actually did this really interesting project a couple of years ago where they mapped out kind of where all the historical creeks mm -hmm. are and, you know, overlaid that over a modern map. And you can see, you know, a lot of them were put underground, but this, there's still water flowing under there kind of in the gravel and sand underground. Um, and that can sometimes, when it, when it rains a lot, the water can rise and you're like, there's no creek here. Why is it, you know, <laughs> why is it flooding in? And some of that is related to these historic creeks that are now, some of them are in pipes now, some of them are just um, kind of still flowing underground. Um, so some of that can, can show up on, on, uh, on some of the maps as well. Wow, just when you think it's safe, it's a secret creek somewhere floating right. you know, underneath <laughs> underground. your feet. Yeah, so just to switch gears a little bit, as an environment journalist, and we rarely get to speak to people with your expertise, are there any like stories that you like to share, anything cool you've experienced when reporting on flooding or natural disasters here? Um, I've been just sort of fascinated by that. I, mean, I think the history is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm always kind of interested in history. I think it's really interesting to look at how we've reshaped the rivers and um, and all the little creeks. Um, I think it's really interesting the projects that have been done to daylight some of the streams. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like, you know, in, in some kind of strategic spots, finding places that they can dig up those old pipes and and kind of restore the creek. Um, I, I'm I'm sort of fascinated by the way that water. Um, you know, water is, you know, this is a very wet part of the world. And, you know, there was historically creeks and waterways all, all over the place. I'm really interested in how those waterways continue to thrive or not thrive in, in sort of the modern city.
Yeah, and the work you do is so important. We want to thank you, Jacob, for dropping by, and thank you, listeners, to listening to the official podcast of the Department of Energy and Environment. Take care. Reporting live from the nation's capital, where the eyes and ears of the environment is DOEE, baby. You are now listening to the ears and eyes of the environment. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Wilkerson, and we'll continue our conversation about flooding in the district. I'm super excited to have a subject matter expert in the building. Please help us welcome Nick Bernard. He's the branch chief of our floodplains, wetlands, and groundwater branch here at DOEE. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hey, Megan. Thanks for having me. We must be on the same page before we get into the good stuff. And accurate terminology is vital, especially when we're describing natural disasters. And to the untrained eye, and when I say untrained eye, I'm really talking about my own eyes. Flooding kind of looks like flooding, but I understand that there are different types of floods. So Nick, can you tell us the different types of floods we see here in DC and where does the water come from? Yep, absolutely. Um, what we like to talk about is that there's three types of flooding okay. in a district. Um, the broadly those are coastal flooding, riverine flooding, and then the last one we call interior flooding. So coastal flooding is when uh, you get water that comes up the Potomac mm -hmm. from the Atlantic and the Chesapeake Bay. And so you'll see this during hurricanes and storm surges. Um, and this is related to the fact that um, D.C. is actually a coastal city. We have high tide and low tide. The difference is about three feet. Um, and so coastal flooding is affected by sea level rise. And again, those big storms, hurricanes, and things like that, tropical storms. Another type of flooding is riverine flooding. And this is when water is coming down the Potomac. So if you think about the Potomac River and its watershed, mm -hmm. the watershed's you know fourteen thousand square miles. It's wow. got it starts in the Shenandoah Valley, it goes into Pennsylvania and West Virginia. So if there's heavy rain anywhere in that watershed, a couple of days later we will start to see the waters rise here in D.C. And so that's the that's the riverine flooding component. Okay. And then the third type of flooding is what we call interior flooding. Some people call it stormwater flooding. Some people call it cloudburst flooding. They all kind of mean the same thing, and that's when heavy rains sort of overwhelm the uh, stormwater system that we have in the city. And you can have completely normal water surface elevations on the Potomac and Anacostia rivers. And if there's just too much rain that the stormwater system can't handle, you start to see water ponding on the streets, and sometimes it goes off the streets and into people's homes. So those are, those are the three main types of flooding that we have in D.C. And I heard you mention Shenandoah Valley. I love Shenandoah Valley. It's so beautiful, especially it in is. the fall. It is. Yeah, and to yes. hear that it's it's one of the culprits for flooding, it kind of kind of <laughs> disappointed. Okay, and I love comparing perspectives. So in our last episode, we spoke with Jacob, who is an environmental journalist, about the history of flooding. And I'm sure you have some cool things to contribute to the conversation. So please give us some background on the history of flooding in the nation's capital. Yeah, we have a we have a long history of flooding, and actually, if you go all the way back to the to when the city was founded in mm -hmm. 1791. Wow. Um, you know, the, the western edge of the city was actually 17th Street. There was no uh, Lincoln Memorial area. It was all underwater at that mm. point. And, and actually, at the time that the, the city was, was planned, and actually as it was first developed, there was uh, a canal that went along Constitution Avenue and then cut in front of the, the Capitol building and went all the way down um, to Buzzard Point uh, near James Creek. Uh, marina. So <coughs> we've always been a city that is right on the water. 
Um, and as you can imagine, we've been flooded over the years. Uh, some of the first pictures of flooding I've ever seen, um, the first one I saw was in 1889, and you can see Pennsylvania Avenue actually covered in a couple feet of water with like horses and carriages uh, <laughs> going by. Uh, but we've had some other big events uh, since then. Probably the most notable are 1936 and 1942. Those are both really big uh, riverine floods. So this was from heavy rains in the Potomac watershed that you know caused the water levels to rise here wow. in D.C. And you know you read reports of those, and they talk about Haynes Point being completely not visible, water being as high as the treetops on Haynes Point. And then at the time, our Washington Navy Yard, which was actually like an active, you know, military uh, installation, you know, that was completely covered in water. And whatever they were doing there was, was covered. So um, those are some pretty significant floods. And then, you know, more recently, um, we've had flooding, but not on that scale of 1936 and 1942. Um, there's been some coastal storms that have, you know, had, had uh, waters rise around the city but nothing to the effect that you know, water really starts to get into the city. And that's in part because we haven't had that much severe flooding, but also in part because um, a lot of our shoreline is uh, parkland and open space. Mm. And we're sort of lucky in that sense that you know, all of it's uh, owned by the Park Service, or in some cases, you know, um, you know, we have DOE has Heritage Island and Kingman Island. So we're a little bit mitigated from that. But recently, we've started to see uh, more flooding, and this is of the interior type of flooding. And right. so <coughs> um, there's been a string of events, I guess, in the past, I, I guess, 20 years almost, uh, really starting with the Federal Triangle Flood in 2006. And heavy rains in June uh, just sort of sat over the Federal Triangle area and um, water started to pond on the streets and it went into a lot of our federal buildings. The IRS building was completely shut down for a couple of weeks and this was before telework, right? So nobody, would, nobody could work from home during that time. Um, I'm not bad at the IRS yeah. building flooding though, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, so, so 2006 was a big, big flood in Federal Triangle. Um, then in 2016, there was a, a string of uh, sorry, actually, in 2012, there's a string of floods in Bloomingdale, mm -hmm. a residential neighborhood in Northeast, and then in 2016, um, I don't know, I don't know if you've seen, but there's some great footage. Well, depending on your definition of great, but <laughs> like water cascading down the steps of the Cleveland Park wow. Metro stairs, and that was interior flooding also. And then I think one of our biggest recent events was September 10th, 2020. Mm -hmm big area of the city in northeast and also in the Watts Branch neighborhoods just got really heavy rain and caused interior flooding and and this is what we've been seeing more and more and it's definitely in part caused due to climate change we're mm -hmm. seeing more intense and more frequent right. rainstorms um, and and yeah so you know that I, th I would say the interior flooding more than anything recently has been uh, the biggest culprit in the district. Yeah, and I can't imagine the metro flooding. It's such a scary thing to picture, you know, with yeah. the stairs is high. You just had commuters that, they, you know, they're, they're downstairs, they're trying to get up, and they just happen to walk on this, oh, on this waterfall. <laughs> so, like, and what you mentioned in climate change, storms becoming more frequent and more intense. Do you think the city can handle the flooding that's expected to come? Well, we are doing a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but as we say in the floodplain and stormwater management world, there's always going to be a flood 
that is beyond what you designed for. Right. So, you know, generally the the city's stormwater infrastructure is designed to like a 15-year storm, mm -hmm. uh, which means, you know, uh, <coughs> you know, the 15-year storm equates to a certain number of inches of rain over 24 hours. And if there's more than that over 24 hours, the storm, the storm sewer system is at capacity, and that means the water will start to pond. So even if you said, hey, let's, let's, let's build our infrastructure to the 100-year rainstorm, well, there's going to be a 200-year rainstorm at some point. And there's, so it's, it's just a matter of weighing the risk and the cost of the infrastructure and the trade-offs. So yeah. Okay, so just thinking about the people, because we're servants and we serve the people. So who's, who's most at risk and what areas are most vulnerable to flooding in the district? Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, in the district, in the district, there's about a thousand residential structures that are in the 100-year and the 500-year floodplain. And residential structures, I'm talking about single-family homes, uh, apartment buildings, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and most of those, let's call it over 700, are single-family homes. And if you just look at those single-family homes, 82% of those are in wards 7 and 8. Mm. And if you just look at single-family homes in the 100-year floodplain, 98% of those are in Ward 7 and 8. So we're seeing that our most, uh, the communities that have the most flood risk are also probably some of our most vulnerable in terms of, in terms of income and just ability to recover from, uh, from a flood. Yeah, so when we discuss natural disasters, the conversation can quickly turn melancholy. But luckily, Nick has some relief. So what programs and tools can we offer to assist residents, especially in Ward 7s and 8? Yeah, um, well, we, we are doing a lot, and we have, we're trying to come at it from a bunch of different angles. And you know, what I'm about to describe, part of this comes from the work of the DC Flood Task Force, which mm -hmm. started up um, about a year ago. and actually a little bit more than a year ago, and, and just, just finished and made a bunch of recommendations. And we try and come at it from a multiple perspectives. One is, can we build infrastructure? Can we build infrastructure in a community that will make the community at a neighborhood scale more resilient, more protected from flooding? So right now, we are doing work in southwest DC, actually around the Landsberg Park neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, and there's actually a lot of public housing in that area, so that's, that's one of the reasons we wanted to focus on that. But we have done designs to turn Landsberg Park and a couple other parks into what we call resilience parks. So cool. instead, of, um, instead of water going onto the street and into people's homes, can we funnel the water into parks that are ready to accept the rainwater? And then 99% of the time, those parks are just great parks. Mm -hmm. um, so we're working on um, doing that kind of infrastructure. We call that blue-green infrastructure. So, um, like I mentioned, Southwest, we also are um, close to putting out a, um, a contract uh, and asking for people to uh, send bids for Watts Branch okay. um, to do similar work in Watts Branch. So that's on the infrastructure side of things. And then we also have a, um, you know, we're also trying to help individual homeowners and residents. And for that, we have a program called Flood Smart Homes. 
and it's free so you can sign up and we will send out a team of professionals and they will come in look at your home look at what can be done to mm -hmm. make it more resilient and then we'll have another team come and actually install those upgrades uh, free of cost oh we love free yes <laughs> So I'm, I'm a city girl. I live in a high rise. So individuals who live in those types of buildings, should we be as worried as people in single family homes or like what can we do to be proactive? Well, um, there's a couple things you can do. The first is you should know your flood risk. Okay. So what we recommend is, is everyone can go to dcfloodrisk.org. You can type in your address and you can see, are you in a floodplain or not? Now, if you're not in a floodplain, great. Um, that means you, there's probably a little less worry, but people still do flood outside of floodplains, especially with the interior flooding. So you want to, you know, you can ask your neighbors and ask your, you know, have, have you guys experienced any flooding mm -hmm. while, you've, while you've been here? And then sort of come up with a plan um, of what you would do if it floods. Now, if you are in a high rise in, uh, in one of those flood zones, you do want to make sure that your building is... Uh, you know, is protected. So, you know, you might have some mechanical equipment and utility equipment that is serving the higher floors. You want to make sure that is protected. Um, and then also that you all have a way to get out of okay. the building. Yeah. yeah. So these are the, like, the integrated flood models that you discuss. How, how do you read those? How do you access those? Like, what, what do you do when you, when you get an integrated flood model? Yeah, well, I think what, I think what you're asking about is, um, well, let me back up for a second. So the dcfloodrisk.org, that will show you the the flood risk maps that we have, and that's just for riverine flooding and for coastal flooding. Okay. And this is typical across the United States. This is really all that FEMA maps. They just map those two things because we understand how to do it. That technology has been around for a while. Um, but what you're mentioning, the integrated flood model, that's something that DOE is working on right now, and that's to help us map the interior flooding. Okay. So if you look at the map of the city, You'll notice that areas that I talked about, like Bloomingdale mm -hmm. and Cleveland Park, those do not uh, look like they're in a flood zone. Yet we know that they have flood risks since they've flooded. And so what the integrated flood model is doing is we're using uh, new technology, new software, and a lot of data um, to create maps of you know when it rains a certain amount, where will the, the flooding occur? Okay, and I may be making this up, but is there such thing as a flood risk preparedness kit? Like, what should homeowners have just in case it floods? Yes, so there is uh, there is a preparedness kit, and you can learn more at ready.dc.gov. But essentially, it is, and it's pretty similar to emergency kit that you'll have for any emergency. So you want to have a radio. You want to also make sure you're signed up for Alert DC so that you can be notified if... There's a flash flood warning, flash flood watch, storm watch, and yeah, they've got lists of what you should have in there, you know, some extra food, some water, um, things like that. So I definitely encourage folks to have that kit and learn more at ready.dc.gov. Thanks. And so lastly, are there any events trickling down the pipeline to empower residents? Yes. Well, we, <coughs> um, this is actually good timing. Uh, Starting on June 3rd, we are kicking off Flood Awareness Week. We've done this for the past three years, and we've got a lot of great events. Um, on Saturday, June 3rd, from 2 to 4 p.m., everyone should come to Landsberg Park, so mm -hmm. that's in southwest D.C. There's going to be a block party, Ooh. food, music. Um, everything is free, and one of the things we'll be showcasing there are the designs for okay. that new park that will make it more resilient. 
And then you can also check out the full list of things we've got going on that week at ready.dc.gov slash floodweek. Um, we've got a couple of different events, including some art installations in nearby galleries and, um, and a special event to get uh, residents more information about flood insurance. That'll be on Thursday, June 8th. So all of that's on the website, but um, you'll be seeing and hopefully hearing a lot about Flood Week. And we even, even advertising on the Metro, you might be seeing oh, cool. stuff there. I mean, yeah. you had me at free. You had me at block <laughs> party. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to be there on June 3rd. And I heard it's another event coming up on June 24th, a community walk. Yes, um, we are. Uh, we are hosting two community walks. It'll, they'll both occur on June 24th, um, one in Oxen Run mm -hmm. and one in Watts Branch. And we have... Uh, partnered with some local artists that want to walk with us along the floodplain and use art and the perspective uh, of the of the artist to you know think about flood risk and um, think about it from new ways and, and what we can do. So we're looking forward to that too and we will have more um, certainly more on our website. Cool. So the walk is going to be in Ward 7 and Ward 8. I'm looking forward to that. Well, Nick, I appreciate you for stopping by, and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. That's all we have for now, and I'll see you at Flood Awareness Week. Reporting live from the nation's capital, where the eyes and ears of the environment is DOEE, baby. <laughs> <laughs>